Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Is this the first time that you've been involved in a tie, and what does it feel like from your perspective? Yeah, this is the first time. I didn't know you could even tie in the NFL. Uh, I was, I was in my mind. I was sitting on the bench, right, saying to myself, "I got a, another quarter to go." But um, I guess somebody came to me and said, "That's it." Najee Harris, Steelers rookie running back, not aware they have ties in the NFL. I guess we could make that the Donovan McNabb Award as the first superlative of the week yeah. because. <laughs> Now, now, look, at least Najee Harris can say, I'm a rookie. I don't know. McNabb was 10 years into his career in that day in Cincinnati when the game ended in a tie, and he said, I didn't know you could have ties in football. Well, you can, and now it's only a 10-minute overtime before they call it a tie. I'm going to start with my first superlative, and I'm not going to pick on Najee Harris. My first superlative is when Mason Rudolph is your backup quarterback, you get what you deserve. That's the first award of the week for me. Because, look, again, all due respect, and that means you plan to insult someone, they've known what Mason Rudolph is. They know who he is. They know what his ceiling is. I don't know why they continue to keep him around. If There are other players out there that could be a guy who steps in for an aging quarterback who – has an injury history, and you know you're going to need a game-ready player to come in and get it done. And look, I know that Ben Roethlisberger's not at the level he was once in his career, but I'd like to think he would have beat the Lions by 14 points if he hadn't tested positive for COVID on Saturday. These are the Lions. You take the Lions outside, you take Jared Goff outside into the elements, Steelers had no business getting anything other than a win in that game. And one of the reasons they didn't is because of their selection of backup quarterback and entrusting that very important role to someone that they should know by now is not a guy that's going to consistently deliver victories. Yeah, your backup quarterback, should, uh, their, their job basically is keep your head above water until your starter gets back and, you know, a tie. We'll, we'll see what a, what a tie does in a game where in overtime, Detroit had a ball in the air off the field goal kicker's foot to win it. Unfortunately, it was an unbelievably weak kick. <laughs> that, that, that wasn't anywhere near uh, being good for them to get a win. So a tie there. We see where that does with the Steelers. My first superlative is going to be revenge is sweet. And, you know, sometimes whether it's amicable or not, whether you're a player or a coach, when you're asked to leave a team and you go to another team and then you play said team, it's nice to beat them. Dan Quinn used to be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons obviously released from that job, is now running the defense for the Dallas Cowboys. 
And the Cowboys put up 43 points, but this superlative is about the other side of the ball. They held the Falcons to three points. They held the Falcons to three points. They got three interceptions and held them to 214 total yards for a Matt Ryan offense that we know can put some yards and some points on the board. So this is more about when you are asked or told, we no longer want you on this team, whether you're a player or a coach, and then you go back and play against that team. Revenge is sweet. Sometimes a player or a coach admits it. Sometimes they don't. But inside, they love it. And it was beautiful yesterday when the Cowboys were up 28-3 to over the Falcons. And they didn't let that moment linger. Block punt made it 35-3. So we didn't get yeah. a chance for the Falcons to come back from down 28-3. to But yeah. And Dan Quinn got fired during the season. That's the ultimate pack up your stuff and get the hell out of here. We still got games to play. We still have business to take care of, but we're not going to do it with you. So uh, a little extra measure of revenge for Dan Quinn there. Next one for me. The latest installment of this is why you don't draft quarterbacks in round one unless you're damn sure they're going to be Hall of Famers. Kind of hard to fit that on the plaque. Jonathan Taylor, the Colts running back, who was on <laughs> fire yesterday early, second round pick out of Wisconsin. The knock was too much wear and tear on him coming out of college. Well, what he's accomplished, he had 116 rushing yards yesterday in the win over Jacksonville. He is the fourth player in league history to register at least 100 yards from scrimmage and a rushing touchdown in seven straight games. Only the fourth player to ever do that. He joins LaDainian Tomlinson, Lydell Mitchell, boy, that's a name and a face from the football cards I used to collect in the 70s, yeah. and Larry Johnson. Seven times. That's And if he does it one more time, he sets the record. 100 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. This guy is, someone made this point several weeks back, he's becoming what Saquon Barkley was supposed to be. The problem with Saquon Barkley is he's been injured too much. And with a running back, you never know when that's going to happen. You have to accept that your starting running back is potentially going to get injured. So don't use a top five pick on a running back because you're going to roll the dice and possibly he gets injured a lot because newsflash running backs get injured a lot because of the nature of the position they play. Yeah, I mean, they just get a lot of wear and tear because of all the touches. And I love watching Taylor run at Wisconsin. I love watching when Wisconsin backs run behind those, those beefeater offensive linemen that they always have there. Uh, it's incredible. And he continues it now behind an excellent line with one of the best linemen in Quentin Nelson on that offensive line. So kudos to him for what he's doing. Um, my next superlative is what the hell are we doing? Uh, I mean, you know, in, in a Tennessee-New Orleans that could go game, a lot of different which is a, ways obviously was show. a close game, 23-21, and Ryan Tannehill throws an interception in the end zone, but it's wiped out by one of the most ridiculous roughing the passer calls I have ever seen in my life. Caden Ellis got flagged after the interception, got flagged for roughing the passer. Somebody tell me where the passer was roughed. What happened? He didn't get hit in the head. He didn't get landed on. He didn't get driven into the ground. There was one step. I mean, it wasn't even one step after he threw the ball. And Ellis hit him and then pulled back. I need it explained to me right now if I could. What was roughing about that? And you know who else wanted an explanation, didn't get one and wasn't going to give one was Sean Payton. What was the explanation of the rough and the passive play? No explanation. So, 
There wasn't an explanation. What do you want me to say? You want my opinion on it? No, no opinion on it. How much did the false start on the two-point conversion attempt at the end change your play calling there? It means significant from the two to the significant. Were you thinking before that, like a you switch quarterbacks where you think that's a potential run play with Taysom? We'll see. I'm not going to tell you what play it was, Catherine. Well, Seriously. Not a play, but I just want to know question. how much Next question. your opinion. Next question. Obviously, it changes the play when you're on the two and you go to the seven. Yeah, Mike, he, uh, he uh, wasn't He was done. He was, he was having uh, none of that. But, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I still, again, I, w- I want to go back to that. What? I get protecting the quarterbacks. I get it. I understand. I understand. But the inconsistency, that's what's it for me, is the inconsistency of that rule and what it causes. There was an interception in the end zone. I mean, that is a significant play that the refs wiped out because of one of the weakest, weakest calls I have ever seen. Well, and Mike, the umpire is the one who actually threw the flag there, and you could and th- now that used to be the exclusive jurisdiction of the referee. But the umpire's stationed back there now, except yes. in the final two minutes, because they didn't want the the umpire to get trampled, which is probably a smart move. But he's looking at it and he's tugging at that flag, the one that they keep. Everybody thinks the flag's in the pocket. They keep their primary flag in the front of their belt. And you can see him watching it, and he's watch his right hand. He's kind of like, well, what am I going to do here? I don't like that, what am I going to do here? It's either a foul or it's not a foul. There's too much subjectivity in this call. And at some point, we're going to get numb to it because every week it's basically a magic eight-ball proposition as to whether or not a hit on a quarterback is going to result in a flag. We just have to like hold our breath and wait and see. Are they going to drop the flag? Is this another example of a ridiculous roughing call, or isn't it? I, 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 peop, I know that there are people around the league who believe there's a crisis in officiating. There's too much subjectivity, and when that subjectivity gets exercised in a certain way, it gives credence to the idea that the fix is in. And there's two levels of fix. There's the NFL wants a certain team to win, which I think does not happen. But then there's the Tim Donahue fix, which we know happened in another sport. And I'm not saying it's happening in the NFL. And I'm not saying it's going to happen in the NFL. But we saw it happen in another sport. And when you give that much leeway, and when you have no apparent accountability, when they call fouls on things that aren't fouls, Mike, it invites people like us, and it invites millions of fans to say something fishy is going on. Why, why do they want that? Uh, listen, I, I'm with you, and and I I don't know the answer to this because there are penalties in all sports that are going to be subjective. So how do you get around that? Does everything go to the eye in the sky? Does everything get reviewed? You know, we went through the year of reviewing pass interference, and that lasted for a year. And when that was going on, I was screaming, "Well, if you're going to do that, review some of these stupid roughing the quarterback uh, calls," which they weren't going to do. So. I agree it invites because, man, when I was doing radio and TV every week, we'd get a call or a, uh, an email or way back when a fax, oh, the fix was in because of this call. It does. It invites people to think that, to put on the tinfoil cap and to think that. And I get it. And I don't want to believe that because I played in that sport and I love that sport, but I can understand why people think it or, or when I just want to think it's, it's a bad call. 
It's a call where they're, they're told, protect, 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 and the flag comes out. It used to be, and it still is to a point, DBs make a hit, and immediately you get up and you wait for the flag to come in. Now it's the exact same thing with a quarterback. You touch the quarterback, which is basically what Caden Ellis did, and a flag comes out. Now you're looking around and you breathe a sigh of relief when a flag doesn't get thrown by a referee. But that, it's just so inconsistent, and that was just such a horrible call. Two quick points, and then we got to take a break, and I will make it quick. First of all, even if a call has subjectivity, there is a range of discretion that can be abused by the official. Just because it's subjective doesn't mean you can't get it completely and totally wrong. And we saw that yesterday, subjective call, but it was objectively wrong. Secondly, the NFL needs to create the impression that they're doing everything they can to get these calls right. The time has come for full-time across-the-board officials. Have access to these individuals 365 days of the year. During the week, they don't go back and practice law or go back to their 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 plumbing supply shop like Gene Steratore has in Pittsburgh. No, or Washington, Pennsylvania, close enough. They know who we mean. But, but the, the point is, you have access to them yeah. all week. You have meetings all week, just like, oh, well, just like football players do. We're going to watch film today of bad calls, and we're going to make sure that we have the same standard that applies on every crew in every game when this happens. This is when a flag's proper. This is when a flag isn't. The teams do it all week long. If they could just do it with the officials all week long, think of how better the officiating could be. And frankly, it wouldn't be any worse. So why not go ahead and do it? You know why, Mike? You know why? Yeah. Well, and the same reason we got to take a break because we got to pay the bills. Money. They got to pay the bills. And they, maybe we'll have a bake sale for the NFL so they can help pay for full time officials. Let's take a break before I get us in <laughs> any more trouble than I already have. The Patriots keep rolling. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Well, thankfully, we did our part. And, you know, I thought the team really played well today. There's so many outstanding uh, plays and players and preparation we had this week. Just you can really put everybody in and talk about just about everybody in there. But, uh, you know, long touchdown drives, um, you know, turnovers, competitive plays in the kicking game. Um, you know, just kind of big plays after big plays from so many different people. Uh, it's really proud of the way the team prepared, the way they, comp- way they competed. I, I actually think Bill Belichick was happy. I, I kind of think that at one moment there, Mike, <laughs> I think he was starting to smile. I, I can't believe my eyes. But you know what? The thousandth game in Patriots franchise history, a resounding win, 45-7 to over a very good Browns team. But it just shows you. This is the Bill Belichick formula. Take a month or so. Figure out what you got. Tony Dungy was saying this last night. You figure out what you got over the first month. And then you start to figure out what you got. And then you start getting pretty good. You color within the lines of what you can and can't do. And and here they are. They're going to threaten the Bills to win the division. And they're going to be a very dangerous team to face if and when they make it to January, Mike. Well, you look at at the, the playoffs, how they're set up right now. Again, with the extra seven teams, you got so many teams, including now New England, with just four losses that are fighting for those last few spots. Or it could be even better spots, depending how the rest of the season goes. Here's the deal with New England. You know what's been good all year for them? Their defense. Their defense has been playing really, really well. And how much that can help you when you have a rookie quarterback. You can have the defense at least keep you in games while your rookie quarterback is growing. And Mac Jones, 
is growing at a really incredible rate. Three touchdown passes, first time for a rookie uh, Patriot since Drew Bledsoe in 93, I believe, since with three or more touchdowns in a game rookie year. He is getting better with his decisions. Uh, the offense is getting better. They're getting a bit of a running game as well. And the defense has been consistently good throughout the year. Uh, so much so that you don't really talk about it because they've just been really good. But we do is we keep looking at the offensive side and, and Mac Jones and seeing how this rookie is going to do under Bill Belichick. We know what he had in Tom Brady as a young quarterback and then all the way through. What will he do with this rookie quarterback? And it is trending so well in the right direction. But I, again, I'll give kudos to that consistent defense that's been going on for them all year as Mac Jones has been getting better and better. Yeah, I mean, this is the formula they want. Good defense, good running game, and a quarterback who basically runs that offense like a robot. So smooth and, and nothing spectacular. Right. Doesn't have the high-end skill set. I think Justin Fields is a better overall player than Mac Jones by far, frankly, from ceiling standpoint. But Mac Jones is exactly what that offense needed to run the way they wanted to run. And here we are, the Patriots making their move. 142.1 passer rating for Mac Jones yesterday. Only 198 passing yards, but you know what? Didn't need more than that. Yeah. Had 100 yards from Ramondre Stevenson, rookie running back on 20 carries and a couple of touchdowns. And you throw in what the defense did. Just a complete throttling. And what makes it worse, the Browns were up 7 to nothing. So <laughs> once New England woke up, once they rolled out of bed, it was 45-0. I mean, it, it, you saw Cleveland go down the field and score. You were like, you know, okay, we saw Cleveland. Everybody talked about all the points they put up last week after the Odell Beckham thing went away, and now this is what they had, and this is how they were going to roll to what happened here. Their first drive is a touchdown. The New England, their first touchdown drive is 15 plays, 83 yards, nine-some minutes off the clock. We'd be talking about that as a great drive if it wasn't for what Washington did uh, in their drive to seal that game. And then, again, Cleveland's defense. They have been so hot or cold at times playing really well and at other times not just giving up some points, giving up massive amounts of points. They've done it, I think, at least three times already this year. So the inconsistency from that side of the ball. And from the Cleveland side, we know they have to be balanced. They have to be able to run it and pass it. And we know Hunt's been out. Chubb has been in and out. He was out last time. But last time they were both out, it was a Thursday night against uh, the Denver Broncos. And Johnson had, had a great game for them. The Ernest Johnson had a monster game. So the running game we figured was still going to be there. Not yesterday it wasn't there. They don't even get 100 yards on the ground. When they can't run the ball, that throws off an offense that has to be balanced offensively uh, by the pass and the run because Baker Mayfield on that offense is just not a big-time passing offense. And by the way, Baker Mayfield is getting the absolute snot knocked out of him as well. He, it's going to be duct, duct, tape, duct, duct tape and chicken wire by the end of the year holding this guy together. Yeah, and that's the problem. We're trying to see if he can get to the ceiling to become a franchise guy, to have the kind of improvement we saw late in 2020 when I think people started to say, hey, maybe he is the guy. Maybe he should get $35, 40000000 a year. 
He's been so injured this year. Now he's got a knee contusion on top of it. It didn't look good at the time that it happened. He got crunched by Matthew Judon. After the game, Kevin Stefanski, the coach of the Browns, said that he could have come back if need be, but by then the, the day was over. Let's not make it any worse. So he expects him to be ready to go week 11. But it's not going to matter if the defense doesn't wake up, Mike. I want to play for you some sound from Miles Garrett after the game that I think does not bode well for the Browns' defense moving forward. Here's Garrett. We got to go back to the drawing board and uh, see how we can get better, see how we can scheme better, see how we can make adjustments on the fly. I mean, because we never, uh, we never had a chance just because you know, we, we, didn't, uh, we didn't make any adjustments on the sideline or uh, when we had time to. That is an indictment. That is a conviction. That is well, – that's not good. Mike, you play defense. You can't just – you can't just stick with what you plan to do. It's an organic three-hour entity. It changes. You have to pivot to what they're doing. How do you not make adjustments when you're getting your butts kicked? I'm astonished by that. So, there, Mike, there's two ways to look at this, and, and, I, and I've been in both. I, I, and, and obviously, in games, you make adjustments. So now, did they make none? Uh, the way Miles Garrett puts it, they didn't even discuss it, which is tough to believe in some cases that it's not discussed at all. Most of your stuff you can do at halftime. But then there's another side of it that sometimes a player won't want to admit is the defense called, and th this will sound weird, the defense was fine, the players didn't execute it. When you look at a play that, say, is a big play, say – you flip one out, uh, a quick pass out to the wide receiver, and he's one-on-one -on -one with a DB. And he shakes that DB and goes for a long, a long distance, right? And people are going to say, are people going to say, boy, what the hell kind of defense was that? You know what the defensive coordinator is going to say is? We call that defense. You're in position to make the play. Make the play. Sometimes you call a defense. The defense is in position to make the play. The right defense is actually called, but the offense just makes better plays for you to where there really may not be an adjustment to make. We had a guy there. He filled the box. He filled the C-gap and gets shook or gets run over, and the play goes for 20 yards. Well, hell, our guy, you, you know, linebacker X, you're right there. Make the play. We don't need to adjust anything. You need to make the play. So there's two ways to look at it. Can there be, you know, systematic things to adjust during a game? Certainly, if you see that. But other times, it's just flat out, you're there, make the play. Beat your man, make the play. There has to be a good, you know, it's a combination of game plan and execution. And both can be tweaked usually all the time as well. But it, it's too easy sometimes to just say, well, what the hell kind of game plan was that when players are in position to make plays and sometimes they're just not making them. I love that explanation. I learned a lot from it. But what I also know now is there's a disconnect in Cleveland. And there's going to be some interesting press conferences this week when Miles Garrett speaks, when yeah. Joe Woods, who's made available once per week, is asked questions by reporters. Because I think we're going to get to the bottom of whether or not Joe Woods will concede, I didn't make adjustments, or, hey, these defenses work. These players need to go out and execute them. Every defense we called was the right one. But you know what? The O overwhelmed the X. 
and there isn't anything we can do about that. There's no different. There's no different defense we can call if the O is going to beat the X consistently. All right, we need to break. Cowboys and Bills show that last week was an aberration. <laughs> they both roll up more than 40 points. Let's talk about those two games when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Cowboys, the rollicking victory. We mentioned earlier the Dan Quinn revenge, but boy, the Cowboys needed to prove to themselves and everyone else that the loss to Denver, the game that had them down 30 to nothing until a couple of garbage time touchdowns by Dallas was a fluke, was just a a stuff happens type of a game, although usually we use a different word than stuff. 43 to 3, the outcome. And It reestablishes that the Cowboys are pretty darn good because this Falcons team was trying to pull itself into serious contention and the Cowboys smacked them down convincingly, Mike. Yeah, you know, we we had just started talking about Atlanta, right? Saying, oh, maybe that's the team that can make a move now. Is it going to be Carolina? So we'll see there. But I I even said it, you know, when we did the show last week that I thought, what happened to them against Denver was going to be way more the exception than the rule. This team has already shown too much this year consistently that they're a really good to excellent team. So I I always figure I'm going to lean toward that and you're going to have a stinker every now and then. That's why we don't have teams going, you know, 16 and 0. Now it would be 17 and 0 every year. You know, that's why the Miami Dolphins, you know, way back when popped the champagne, you know, when there's no more undefeated teams. It's hard to do. You have those kind of games like they had last week. But for the most part, this is a really good team and a balanced team. I think they had 37 runs, 34 passes right in that area there. Teams love that. Offensive lines love that when they can actually go forward instead of backward and dominate a team, which is what Dallas did. So, I'm, I'm convinced this is more of where they are, and you'll see more of leaning toward this type of ball than you will what you did against Denver. Not to say you won't get another one like that, but consistently they're way more to the good side. And it came at the right time, getting themselves back on that even keel because we mentioned it earlier, Dallas at Kansas City this week, and then short week Raiders come to town, although – 
that Raiders-Cowboys game suddenly not looking as good as it did a couple of weeks ago because the Raiders have fallen off, but still the Cowboys trying to, to make a run of their own. You know, I'd said a few weeks ago, let Dak Prescott sit as long as he needs to recover from that calf injury because they're locked in as the four seed. Maybe they're not locked in as the four seed. Maybe they can climb. Maybe maybe they can be the ones to disrupt yep. Green Bay being the number one seed. And and the Falcons aren't done either. They just have to, you know, treat it like a one-point loss. Doesn't matter whether you lose by 40, 400, or four. A loss is a loss, and you got to pick yourself up and move on to the next one. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge Arthur Smith has today is to get this team to buy back into the idea that it's just one game and and we can turn it around. Well, that, that's why we talked about November. This is the month. You'll know by the end of this month where somebody is and what needs to be done going in, you know, to, toward the end of the season of what you need to do. Uh, there will be a lot told in a couple of more weeks, a few more weeks, about where teams are. More teams will be looking, you know, out on, on the outside looking in, not be able to get in, and other teams will have put themselves in position to control your own destiny. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that last month of the year to be able to control your destiny. If you take care of your business, you're going to be where you want to be. That's the position teams are trying to put themselves in. The Buffalo Bills doing everything they can to put themselves back in position to win the division and make another run. They had that ugly loss in Jacksonville where they scored only six points. They made up for it with 45 against the Jets. First of all, I think we can say to everyone in New York, the Mike White era is over. Nice guy. Nice guy. But I think we got a little too carried away by the whole Mike White is the savior and maybe Zach Wilson is going to be the backup. No, Zach Wilson... Get him back as soon as you can. It's the, the magic is gone, and the Bills showed that, that their nightmare is over. Josh Allen looking great. Stephon Diggs looking great. And, uh, you know, here come the Bills again, Mike. Well, see, so, so again, I, I put this in what I did with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, when, when they lose to Jacksonville, I know they're a better team because they've shown it this year already that I know, you know, that was the exception, again, not the rule. So what happens, Mike, when you watch film on a game like they did against Jacksonville, you know, a lot of times when you watch a film, depending on, on what kind of team you are, you just look at the other team and say, wow, that's a really good team. They just out-executed us there or they're better there. Buffalo watching that film, I guarantee you, it, was, it wasn't what Jacksonville did. It was like, yeah, give them credit. They made plays when they had to, but we feel we were our own worst enemy. If we executed how we needed to execute, we would have won that game. So for the better teams like that, there's a lot more self-scouting like Tampa Bay in Washington in their last two games. It's more about what did we do wrong? Like Bruce Arians said, we're just dumb. We're playing dumb football right now from the coaches on down. It's more about you and not about the opponent. It wasn't about Jacksonville. It was about Buffalo. What did we do wrong in that game, because if we are close to executing how we good, uh, how good we can be, we win that game going away. So, what did we do wrong? What's the reflection in the mirror say about us? That's what's going on with teams like Dallas and Buffalo when they have a stinker or two. It's all about the self scouting and what did we do wrong? Because from an execution standpoint, a talent standpoint. They're in the upper echelon of the league. So a lot of times when they lose to a team that they know they're better in, it's not so much about that team they lost to, but what did we do wrong as opposed to what the other team do right.
Bills have the Colts coming to town on Sunday, then Thanksgiving night on NBC. They are at the New Orleans Saints, and in the interim, they will become Falcons fans. I mentioned the Falcons need to pick themselves up quickly, very quickly. It's Thursday night back in action when the Patriots go to Atlanta. And, of course, I'm sure anytime Falcons fans see anything Patriots-related, they get the shakes, and they (laughs) they have flashbacks to that horrible day in Houston from four and a half years ago. Let's take a break. Sunday Statement Draft for Week 10. When PFT Live continues right after this. In this twilight zone, I don't know what this is really. Um, and I'm sure I've been in a tie before as a player. For some reason, I can't remember that if it was. So I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I have to, there again, I just go back. I'm just proud of the way that they played, man. They snapped back. We were better than we were two weeks ago. Good news for the 2008 Lions and the 2017 Browns. Their their status as the only teams to not win in a 16-game season is preserved. And now a 17-game season. There won't be an 0-17. The Lions get their tie. It's Sunday statement time for Week 10. Mike Golick, you're up. Well, listen, I know we talked about this team and this person, but what we didn't mention is my first one is, is Mac Jones. This was his best game of the season, you know, so it shows you the progress that's being made through the season for a rookie quarterback. 19 to 23, 82% completion. Again, doesn't throw for a lot of yards, but three touchdowns and 142 rating. So to me, why I, why I bring it up now, we're in double digit, you know, weeks now of the NFL for a rookie and how he's getting better. So to me, that's on him. That's on the coaching staff. And this is how it's supposed to work once you start playing, once you start getting the reps to see the evolution. And we're seeing it in Mac Jones. So from that standpoint, statistically, his best game in his very, very young career. I'm going to go back to where we started the show, the Sunday night game. Patrick Mahomes, five touchdown passes, 406 passing yards, 35 for 50, a passer rating of 127.6. After all the struggles, whatever the reason, and I still think that that toe is not completely right, and maybe it's getting closer and closer to being completely right, but this was the Mahomes of old. This is the guy we've been waiting to see. The question now is, can he extend it and continue it and do it two games in a row with the Cowboys coming to town? But for this week, big statement from Patrick Mahomes, Mike. Uh, my, I, I completely agree, and let's see if they, they have the continuity now to continue. My big statement was from the Washington defense. You know, something on paper we thought we were going to get and we hadn't gotten. This is what they did to Tampa Bay. Held them to 14 first downs. They held the five sacks. Losing Chase Young could really hurt them. Held them to 273 total yards. Now, how good is that? Well, they've been giving up 380 as a team. They've been giving up 273 through the air alone. They gave up that as a total on defense. So, again, is it a one-game thing, or is it something they say, hey, we've been, we did this, we know we can do this, and now we can build on this? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they get their test with the Panthers next week. And the quarterback, who likely will be starting, my pick, round two, Cam Newton. Only nine touches, and he turns him into two touchdowns. He creates the most exciting, exciting moments of the week. Rips the helmet off. Yeah, it's a 15-yard penalty, but we'll give him that one. I'm back. He is back. It was fun. It's what football should be, and it creates 
excitement and wonder about what can happen the rest of the year for a team that we had written off. So good for Cam Newton, good for the Panthers. Now let's see what he does against the guy who was his coach for nine years when Ron Rivera and Washington come to town. I'm really interested to see what he does again as, as the starting quarterback, uh, what he had done last and what he does now. My last one is, hey, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but running the ball can work. And I look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They beat the Denver Broncos. They ran the ball for over 200 yards, 214 yards. They ran it 40 times. This is a team that has been putting too much pressure on Jalen Hurts and not running the ball enough to take pressure off him. Now, he runs the ball as well, but they put a lot on him to throw the ball because they weren't trusting the run enough. And sometimes it's not even about the 214 yards. It can be about the attempts that you're taking as well. But this time it was about the yards. They didn't have one 100-yard rusher in this game, yet till still rushed for 214 on 40 carries. So kudos to them. Kudos to that offensive line who had got a scare with Jason Kelsey being hurt for a bit. But run the ball more in Philly. Keep the pressure, all the pressure off of Jalen Hurts. Last one for me, and Vikings fans out there will be happy that their team was not ignored in the show. We're wedging this in at the very last pick in the Sunday Statement Draft. Justin Jefferson, nine catches for 143 yards, only the second player in the Super Bowl era to have 10 games of 100 or more receiving yards in his first 25. Odo Beckham Jr., the only other one to do it. And Jefferson now second on the list in receiving yards in his first 25 games behind Beckham in the Super Bowl era. And the Vikings, hey, Vikings fans, the dream is still alive. Nine and eight or eight and nine, you can still do it and maybe get to the playoffs and lose in the wild card round. There's hope. Let's take a break. Speaking of Odell Beckham Jr., will we see him tonight for the L.A. Rams? We'll get you ready for Rams 49ers when PFG Live continues right after this. You want to be where you feel loved and, and, and wanted and welcomed. And um, I, I just got that feeling, you know, from Vaughn and Jalen, all them boys, the receivers, when I got the call. And it just felt it felt right in my heart. Uh, and it's something you got to go with your gut and your instinct. And, you know, you take those steps forward and you, you just don't look back and you keep progressing um, and try and get better each and every day. So it felt right in my heart. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, pleasure to meet y'all. I'm excited. Much love. Odo Beckham Jr., officially a member of the Rams. He had a bunch of different teams he could choose from. I've heard some things that the process was a little kooky at times. There were some teams that were in it that were never even actually told that they were out. So it was a strange few days. And then it got stranger, Mike. He signs his contract. And the first practice, now I, he didn't, I don't know that he participated on Friday. He may have, but Robert Woods tears his ACL. Right. So now there's suddenly a need for Odo Beckham Jr. He goes from being a luxury to a necessity, and I think we're going to see him play tonight. ESPN reported yesterday he's potentially going to return punts. So get ready to watch OBJ wearing number three, his old LSU number. So much for Cam Akers squatting on it. He's injured. He's not there. Sorry, Cam. You're done. OBJ wears number three, and we'll see what they can do to the 49ers tonight. Listen, OBJ obviously has been a proven commodity, but this is also what happens in the NFL is injuries to one give more of an opportunity to the other. So Woods gets hurt, and that will probably be a quicker uh, implementation of OBJ into this offense outside of punt returns and some plays. And listen, we know when he's right, the type of player it can be. Unfortunately, he hasn't been right. He's been injured. He, he's played injured, and that hasn't gone well with some drops. 
And then obviously relationships haven't gone well. So let's see. You know, the, the, the best ability is availability. Will he be able to stay available with some of the injuries, especially the shoulder that he's had this year? And then how he gets implemented into this offense. Certainly a good team to go to. You know, a team that's going to be right there, you know, as far as possibly one of the top seeds. So let's see how the OBJ era starts with the Rams. Not on the injury report for his first game with the Rams. And, you know, a lot of question about how much will be used or whatever. I'll look at it this way. You buy yourself a nice new sports car. You don't leave it in the garage. You take it out and drive it. Sean McVay is going to want to show the world that he can quickly implement a plan for driving that new sports car, the OBJ model that the Rams will have tonight. It should make for an interesting Monday night game. Enjoy the game. We'll see you tomorrow morning with another edition of PFT Live. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.